All right, well, you guys can have a seat. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to H2O. My name is Joe. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. Just excited to be with you um, today for our family gatherings and um, really just a chance to worship and celebrate all the things that God is doing um, in our church and in our community this summer. And so uh, we are continuing our series in the book of Genesis. Really excited uh, to dive in today's passage. Today's passage is going to be really challenging in a lot of ways, but I think it's also going to be really encouraging as well. But before we dive into today's passage, um, I just kind of want to ask you a question just to ponder on. Um, has there ever been a point in your life where you started something, a project, or you, you began to do something, and you felt like, man, I wish I could do that over again. I wish I could have a redo on this. Has anyone else experienced that? Is it just me? Okay, good. Thank you. I, I have definitely experienced that many a time in my life. Um, and I had a moment like this recently. Um, we are, me and my family, we are homeowners, and we uh, have been living in our home for about a year, and it's needed a lot of updates and projects. And one of the big projects that we uh, did this past year was working on our basement. And one of the things that we did with our basement was we installed a laminate floor because we want to try to be like cool hipster type people. And so that's what you do is you install a cool laminate looking floor that looks like wood, but it's not wood, it's just plastic. And so whatever. Uh, But uh, we installed the floor and we did it during winter. And I didn't know this. Again, new homeowner, so give me some grace if you knew this. Uh, But laminate floor expands when the weather gets warmer. And so uh, what happened was when I installed the floor, I had it a little too close to the wall at certain points. And so as it's gotten warmer in the summer, it started to bubble up and expand. And uh, there's some some issues with it. It's not terrible, uh, but there's a few spots where we step on it and there's like a bubble. And we're like, oh my gosh. Uh, And so uh, done some repairs to it, but in order to do a full repair, I would have to take out basically half the floor and redo it over again, um, which we're probably not going to do, but we'll do what we can um, in the meantime. Um, but it, you, you know, you live and you learn. And when you, um, as I've been walking in my basement, there's been times that I've been like, man, I wish I could just do this over again. I wish I could just restart this whole process, um, know what I know now, and just start all over again. And I share this, um, and again, maybe you've experienced times like this in your life, because I think this really highlights what is happening in our passage on the book of Genesis. And what we'll see in this passage is that, um, just to kind of highlight where we've been, um, in the book of Genesis, we saw that God created the world, and he made it good. But sin entered into the world and created uh, destruction, corruption, and evil. And so this, this dysfunction of sin has ruined God's original design. And so because of this, God even says, man, things have gotten so bad on the earth. People are killing each other. There's sexual morality. There's all sorts of evil. He's, he's even made the comment um, that he regrets making humans, that he regrets making the decision to make humans. And I don't think this regret communicates a surprise in any way, um, but I think what this is communicating, that God's sadness for creation, that God is actually discouraged and sad when we fall into sin because he knows what's better for us. He knows that following the path of righteousness gives us freedom. And so sin leads to destruction. It, is, it grows like a cancer. And that's what we see in today's passage today, too, is, 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 is that we see sin go out of control. You know, I have a, I have a family member 
who recently was diagnosed with cancer. And thankfully, um, they found out just in time, so they've been able to put him under the right treatments to help with the process. But he was sharing with me just about the process that he's going through. And he said that when the doctors found it out, they put him in chemo to stop the growth of the cancer. And then they put him right into surgery to help cut out every area where there could be cancer cells. Because the risk with cancer, if you know, is that it could spread throughout your whole body. And at that point, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's really what we say, see here today is that God is laying the groundwork for restoration to stop the spread of the cancer because it has gone out of control on the earth. And the passage we'll be looking at is Genesis chapter 6, and it is an introduction to the story of Noah and the flood account. And if you're not familiar with the flood account, I and mean, most people are, Noah is um, one of the most popular figures in the whole Bible. And his story is that Noah was a righteous man, and God brought about judgment on the earth to bring a flood to, to the whole world, and saved, but spared Noah and his family who made an ark and put animals on it to, to restart things, to, to, to save the family of God, to save the people of God, and to restart creation through Noah and his family. And so what we'll see today is that, that God hates sin. And, and ultimately, sin leads to brokenness and, and pain. And so because of that, God is judging the world. But in the midst of that, in the midst of this chaos and destruction, there is hope. There is hope for humanity, and there's a hope, and there's a plan that we are a part of, guys, that we are a part of the restoration of God, that he is bringing about something good in our world, making all things together for good. And even though the world looks dark and hard at times, we can trust in God's plan. So I think there's a lot we can unpack and a lot we can learn today. So like I said, we'll be in Genesis 6. And there's a lot that we're going to see in this passage, but there's really three things that really stick out most. And the first is this. That we, get to, that we see in this passage, the evil of humans. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we'll see in this passage is the evil of man or the evil of humans. And so we'll flip to Genesis 6, starting in verse 1. Um, if, if, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible around you, or you can follow along on the screens. And we'll start with verse 1. It says this, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And he took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And verse 5 says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And jumping ahead a little bit to verse 11 and 12, this also highlights the sin of man in this time. And it says this in verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so what we see in, in this passage, again, it, it repeats itself over and over again. The evil of men 
in women during this time. And this evil led to more sin and more separation from God. And what we see here is a society that has fully rejected God in every way. That there is no end to the evil that they were practicing. Theologically, we, we as Christians believe that we are born, all human beings, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, are born with a sinful nature. Meaning that when you are born into this world, your desire is, is for the things that are opposed to God. That is your nature, your selfish nature, seeks after things that ultimately harm you and ultimately are for your desires over the desires of others and for God. And we believe as Christians, when you look at the world, the human race, this, this leads to evil. Now, there's a great book that came out a long time ago. It's called Lord of the Flies. I didn't read the book. I watched the movie. You might be like me. I'd just rather watch the movie. That's just me. But maybe you're better than me and you uh, read the book, which is great. Uh, but uh, Lord of the F- Flies, uh, it's a story of um, a group of boys who uh, were on a plane, and their plane crashes on a deserted island, and there's no adults there. And the, the story kind of plays out with the, the idea of what would happen if, if, if you had no laws in society and you had these boys that are innocent, what would happen to, to them? And what ends up happening is they end up just destroying each other. They end up turning to violence, jealousy, and, and, and brutality. It's a, a tale of boys who just uh, fall into chaos. And this suggests that our human nature is, is fundamentally this way. That, 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 that if, if, if we didn't have common grace and we didn't have society's laws, we would just continue to pursue evil to the fullest. Welcome to church. We're thankful that you're here today. <laughs> but we, 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 we believe this. But in, in the story, it, it took adults finally coming to the island to stop the madness. And if it wasn't for God's intervention, we believe this would take place. And, and this is what we see in this passage today, that the, these people were pursuing more and more sin, and it led to more and more evil. Now, when it comes to this passage, there, there is some um, confusion and even some debate on the meaning of some of the words in this passage, specifically what, what led to the tipping point when God said, okay, we have to do this over again. Um, specifically, in the first part of the passage, when it talks about the sons of God and Nephilim, and, and it, there's, there's some confusion in trying to understand what is happening here. And we're going to talk about this because we believe as a church, we like going through books of the Bible and we like engaging with tough passages of Scripture to try to understand what it means for us today. And so we want to walk through this. Um, But it's important as we walk through this to not lose sight of the bigger picture, that whatever was happening here was evil and it was leading people into more sin. And it led to a point where God said, that's enough. But there are some things here we can take from this and help us understanding how to read and apply Scripture to our lives. And so specifically looking at the early part of the verses, um, when it talks about the sons of God and the daughters of man were attractive, and that they took, the sons of God took the daughters of man uh, as wives. And later on it says, um, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them. And so some have interpreted this, um, there's really many different ways to view this, but there's two ways we're going to talk about today, because I think there's two different uh, primary ways you can look at this passage. Um, one is an angelic interpretation. And what this interpretation says is that um, some have understood that the sons of God are fallen angels. 
and that the Nephilim are the children that are born after them. That when the angels saw the humans, they said, wow, they're very attractive and and decided to um, come together with them and reproduce offspring that are called the Nephilim. And this view holds that the Nephilim were a different species of humans and were giants on the earth. Yeah, this is in the Bible. It's kind of weird. Um, but uh, this, this view comes from uh, the book of Enoch, which isn't a part of the Bible, um, but it's another Jewish book. But this is probably the most common interpretation of this passage. And I would say, yeah, the most popular view, and it's the, one of the oldest views on this passage. And so the, the word Nephilim no, people don't really know what that word specifically means, but it can be translated to giants. And so that's where people get this view that, hey, the, these Nephilim were the giants and the children born after um, the angels came together with human women. And so the, the theory behind this would be that, well, God had to destroy the earth because of these Nephilim. Um, some of the confusing things about this chapter is what we typically know throughout the whole Bible, not to get into angel theology. That's a whole other path you can do on your own if you want to do that. Uh, but uh, the, what we know about angels is that they're spiritual. And so it is a little interesting and unique that angels would come and take the form of humans and, and pr- reproduce a new kind of human in these Nephilim. And so there's a little bit of confusion there. Also, another thing I would add uh, when it talks about this passage, it only says that humans were judged, if you look at the, with the flood. And so it's a little bit challenging if, if you, you know, it says angels did this, what happened to the angels? And so some people will say, well, this is when Satan and the angels fell was at this point, which I guess you could take that from this passage too. Um, but I, there's, this view is very complicated in a lot of ways. The second interpretation, the less supernatural view and I'll say, for me personally, it's the one I personally lean towards. But if you hold the other perspective, totally fine. Um, again, there's Christians on both sides of this um, discussion. But um, the view that I would say I personally hold is that the sons of God were simply men who fell away from righteousness. And specifically, some theologians hold the view that the sons of God are the descendants of Seth. And so if you look at the last few chapters in, this, in the book of Genesis that we've been walking through, we looked at the genealogies, and there are really two families that it's talked about. It's talked about the family of Seth and the family of Cain. And so both um, of them are sons of Adam, the first man. And Cain is uh, of Cain and Abel, who killed his brother. And so the last few chapters talk about the line of Cain, being a family of evil, that they pursued more and more evil, that they distanced themselves from God. And the family of Seth, the other son of Adam, was a family that pursued after God, that sought the things of God. And so the understanding, if you take this interpretation, the, the, the understanding that you would have is that um, what is happening here is that the, the Seth family was coming together with the Cain family and that the people of Cain were leading the people of Seth away from God, away from God's promises, away from pursuing him. And although the sons of God, at times that term is used to describe angels in the Bible, and that's fine, we could also say children of God, that it could be a term to describe people of God. And so because of this, God felt a need to intervene in this and, and say, we, we need to preserve um, the line of God. Because as far as we know, the only righteous person on the earth is Noah and his family. That, these, that because of this intermarrying, it led to people distancing themselves from the things of God. And God said, that's enough. 
And so again, that, that's my personal view, but again, it, it, there, there are great Christians on both sides of the argument um, as well. And I think the important thing to know is this, don't lose the forest for the trees. Look at the bigger picture that something evil was happening here, so evil that God said, I need to intervene. I need to do something about it. And without getting too far off track, um, another point I want to make about this story, and I could spend a whole other sermon on this, so I don't want to spend too much time on this specifically, but I think it's important to know this, that when it comes to marriage, when it comes to, I think, what this passage is alluding to, who you marry significantly impacts your relationship with God. That if it, we believe as Christians, you should be seeking to marry somebody that's going to help you grow closer to Jesus. And that, that if, if you're seeking to grow closer to Jesus and you're married to someone that's seeking to grow closer to Jesus, both of you are going to be moving in the right direction. And so before you walk down that aisle and make that decision, it's important to say, man, is the person I'm with, are they seeking to grow closer to Christ? Because what this passage would show and what I've even seen personally is that when, when people decide to be with somebody or marry somebody, and I'm saying marriage specifically, um, that isn't following God, oftentimes they have a rough marriage. It's really hard because their values aren't on the same foundation. And oftentimes what can happen is the person who's not following God will go a different direction than the person who's following God. And, and oftentimes, too, the person that um, was trying to follow God will be dragged down by the person who is seeking after God. And what I mean by dragged down is pulling people away from Christ. And so I, I believe, we, and we believe, that Christians should seek a union with those that are seeking to grow closer to Christ. Now, here's the thing that's tough, especially in our culture and in our society. There is a stigma on singleness, and especially in uh, collegiate ministry, I see this a lot, where college students have this burning passion to be married to somebody, and that's totally good. That's a God-given thing. But you know what's worse than being single? Being in a bad marriage. It's far worse than being single. It's far more important to make sure you're, you're married to the right person rather than just being married to fulfill that inclination in your heart. God will always provide a path for you if you continue to seek after righteousness. That should be our desire. He cares about your heart. And I think that's what this passage is showing here, that these, because of these marriages, it was leading people away from God. And so what, what we can take away from this is that, man, we should seek to be careful and take our time as we enter into the dating process and as we enter into marriage and make sure, man, whoever you make that decision with on that day is somebody that can lead you and help you grow closer to Christ. And so like I said, I could spend the next 45 minutes, which I'm sure you would love to hear me talk about that, <laughs> Christian dating as well, but I think the important thing is to know that, man, who you marry does have an impact on who you are and how you grow in the things of Christ. And so that's the important thing to know, but, and that's what we see in this passage. Um, but again, this passage shows that God brought about a flood because human race was in sin and it led to corruption. And so he was wiping away the sin of the earth through his judgment. And so what we see next in this passage is this, is the judgment of God. And so that's point number two. We see the judgment of God. And so in Genesis 6, uh, 7, it says this, And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
And then jumping ahead to verse 13, it says, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them, through men. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. And then jumping ahead to verse 17, it talks about how God will do this through the flood. It says, For behold, I will bring flood waters upon the earth, destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And so this, is sh- this passage is showing that God is bringing about justice. He's bringing about through a flood, through a cleansing of the earth. And so, again, we see that God is bringing justice. And I think in our culture today, if you talk to people on the street, I think uh, this is a hard thing to talk about, right? Talking about the justice of God. And oftentimes you'll hear people say, oh man, I I feel like I like Jesus, but this God of the Old Testament, he's pretty rough. What's going on there? And and there's a sense of of, of feeling of, I don't like the idea of there being a God that judges us. Like We kind of like the God that's a genie that answers our prayers and that's there for us, almost like a guardian angel. But the idea of like an eternal God that brings judgment, that's hard for us. Well, an interesting thing that I feel like as you observe our culture, uh, that's very interesting about our world, um, and you can look at this through you know, accountability culture or cancel culture as an example, there seems to be a desire for justice in our culture, right? There seems to be a desire um, to, and a lot of times, unfortunately, it falls into mob justice, uh, to, to hold people accountable, and there's a sense that individuals or corporations are afraid in some ways of, to say something wrong or to do something wrong for a fear of that mob culture coming for them. And obviously, you know, this isn't a sermon on cancel culture, and I don't want to go that path, but I think what this does communicate is that there is a sense in our human race, race that does desire justice, that does desire righteousness, that does desire that things be made right, and if people are wrong... There's a sense in our culture of, man, I want them to be held accountable to that. Well, for us as Christians, we have that. We believe in eternal God who brings justice to evil. That there are evil people who may not experience the full justice they deserve on this earth. That there is actually a justice that they will experience in the time to come. That they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But here's the other thing, too we will stand too. We will one day stand before God and make an account for the things that we have done. Now, when we turn, I feel like in our culture, we're very easy to say, oh yeah, they deserve justice. But when the fingers turn on us, that's when things get a little tougher for us, right? It's harder to say, oh man, I deserve justice too. There's almost a sense of, man, understanding for me, justice for them, that's the thing that I, I, I want you know, we were talking about this topic um, this past week in our community group, and someone said something uh, very insightful. They talked about, as an example, uh, getting cut off in traffic. And they said, you know, it's interesting when you're, you know, driving and, you know, someone cuts you off in traffic, you're like, oh my gosh, what a jerk. And you're kind of, you hope that maybe, you know, a cop could have seen that and maybe they'd pull him over. There's nothing that would give you more joy than seeing that person on the side of the road, right, after that, and that justice has been served. Um, Well, this person that shared this said, you know, it's interesting, whenever I cut off somebody, I want people to kind of understand, like, oh, I'm just in a rush, or, oh, you know, I I didn't mean to do that, or, you know, I just didn't see you, or, you know, there's a sense within us that's like, man, I'm a good person, it's okay, but if somebody does that to me, man, they are like the worst person in the world, they're, you know, whatever, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. 
Listen, God is a good judge, but he also has full understanding. He also has full understanding of who you are. And so because of that, he can bring about right judgment. And, so, and unfortunately, there's a sense in our world that says, man, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I'm good enough. My sins aren't that bad because what we do is we look at others and we say, man, I can find people that are worse off than me. Yeah, there's a few people that are better than me. I'm not as good as Mother Teresa, but I'm not Hitler, so that's good. You know, so I'm, I think we'll all, it, all in the end, there's this feeling that it'll all just work itself out. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 talks about that those who judge themselves by other people are without understanding. I think there's this sense, too, that people feel like, man, I don't like the idea of a justice God because, you know, maybe, you know, he'll send me to, to hell or whatever, you know, it is or bring justice on me and not know the full story. And there's almost, there will almost be a surprise that, that I'm, I'm going to experience the justice of God. The reality is there is no surprises. Again, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and, and be held account for the things that we have done, and nobody will be able to speak because it will be made clear the, who we really are and what we really deserve. That all sin is a crime against a holy God. Somebody has to pay for that. Somebody has to pay for the crime that we have committed, for the evil that we've done to others and that we've done to ourselves. You know, um, in the book of Isaiah, it talks about that all our good works are like filthy rags. That anything good that we think we have done is, is not in comparison to, to, it can't help save ourselves. And in a lot of ways, we can feel like, man, I may not be Mother Teresa, but I'm definitely not Hitler. Well, actually, God doesn't judge on a curve. He judges by his perfect standard, his perfect standard of holiness. And so actually the gap is far further, that we're actually closer to Hitler than Jesus in his perfection. Because God made a way for us, that God is a perfect God who lived the life that we should have lived through his son Jesus, um, and that he made a way for us to be saved because we could not save ourselves. We could not have enough good works to outweigh the crimes that we committed. And so here's the thing too, and here's the thing to remember. God always brings about a way to salvation, that whenever he brings judgment, there's always ample opportunity for people to be saved. Even going back to this passage, if you look at Noah building this ark, um, the passage says that 120 years potentially, and, and scholars debate between maybe it was 50 years or maybe it was 120 years. Regardless, Noah was building this big, huge ship or this big, huge uh, monstrosity for many, many years. And you don't think there was a moment where someone said, hey, Noah, what are you doing? Oh, God's going to judge the earth through a flood? Cool. Great. I'll see you later. Take care. You know, there was ample opportunity for people to turn and to repent, but they didn't take it. In the same way, there's an opportunity for you. Because when we stand before the judgment seat, Either we'll be judged on our righteousness or Jesus' righteousness. And when the accuser comes and says, she is this or he is this, and they've done this, this, and this, Jesus will say, no, I took on that wrath. I paid for that sin. I'm the one that, deserve, that took on the punishment for what they've done. And he offers us a hope. He offers us a plan of salvation. And so no one will stand before God and say, I didn't have an opportunity 
because we will all have an opportunity. We believe in a holy God that will make every opportunity for everybody who's ever existed to come to know God. Even um, in 2 Peter, which I'm not going to highlight too much on this, or 1 Peter, sorry, um, 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about that Jesus ministered to those that were um, living before the flood. And so some scholars believe that Jesus, after he um, died on the cross, went to minister to people to share about his work and his plans. And I don't know if that happened specifically, but th- there is a sense that the people who were living in this time had ample opportunity to respond to God. And so for us, especially for those of us here today, this is an opportunity to respond and hear what God has for you, that there is a plan of hope. And that leads us into our final point, that there is a path to restoration. And this is what we see in this passage, that God is bringing out a path of restoration through Noah and his family. And we see that Noah was, was a righteous man. And in verse uh, 8 of chapter 6, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And that Noah was a righteous man, man blameless in his generation. That Noah walked with God. And so God said, make yourself an ark. And so, so Noah listened to God, and he made um, an ark. And, it, and it's important to know, too, the ark wasn't necessarily a boat, that it was going anywhere like the Titanic. It was more of a vessel to maintain Noah and his family, to bring about the salvation of, of Noah and his family and the animals he took on the boat. And, and, and so when we look at this, I think we need to know that God is always bringing about a plan of redemption. And so for us here you know, as, as we're living here many years later and we see the difficulty of our world, I think it's important to walk away with, with, with this understanding. One, that, that, that we need to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If you look at Matthew 5, Jesus says that his people should be the salt of the earth. And so what that means is that we should be making the world better, just like salt makes food taste better and it's a preservative. We as Christians in our world, should help make the world a better place. In the light of the world, that we should help lead people out of darkness and lead people to Christ. Also, we should trust in God's plan of redemption. We should trust that even when the world looks difficult, that God is working about his plan, that he will wipe away every tear from our eye and he will make all things new. We gotta trust in God's plan of redemption. For us as Christians, we see the end of the story. You know, if you're ever watching a movie that you like and there's, there's a lot of intensity, and if you've seen it before, there's a peace that comes over you, right, when you're watching the characters in danger because you know the end of the story. There's a peace there. And for us as Christians, we know the end of the story. We know that God is bringing about his salvation and that he's going to judge the world for its evil, but he's bringing hope. And for us as Christians, we should be humble and we should say, God, how can you use me here in this space to help make this world a better place, but also trust and have peace in your plan of redemption. And that's what we'll see in in the next few weeks. We'll see um, God working out his plan of redemption through the family of Noah. And the next few weeks, as as we look at Noah and we look at his faith and how he walked with God, hopefully it'll inspire us to walk with God as well. And so as we close today, I want us to ponder on two questions during worship just to be thinking about as as we end our time today. Number one, are you aware of the impact of sin on your life? Are you aware that there is sin in your life? And then number two, are you ready to turn away from your sin and trust in God's plan of restoration? So are you aware that there's sin in your life? 
Are you ready to turn to Jesus, to turn to him and trust in his plan of restoration? And so that's what we hope as we enter into worship and as we pray today that God would continue to help us grow to look more like him and to to live like Noah and walking with God. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the chance to come together today and worship you. We thank you for this message and the story of Noah. And God, I I just pray that you would just continue um, to show us, even as the world gets darker and darker, it seems, that you are working out a path of redemption. Lord, help us as we approach difficult texts like this that are heavy to, to continue to turn to you and to trust you that you are bringing out a plan of salvation, that you have made a way for us, Jesus, to be saved. And so, Lord, help us to, as we worship you, be in a place of humility and thankfulness because we don't deserve the grace and the mercy that you've given us, but you've given it to us, Jesus, because you love us, because you wanted to make a way for us. And so, Lord, help us to trust you as we continue in this series and to to celebrate the things you have done and you'll continue to do. So we love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.